Well, welcome everybody. I do hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Special welcome to uh, extended family members and college students who are home for the weekend. And it's just good to see everybody here and those uh, gathered online. Welcome to you as well. Um, great to see the return of the Feaster 5 road race. I saw some of you uh, running down High Street. I saw some of you walking down High Street and some of you gasping for air. We're right after like, the highest point. You know, you run up the hill and then they make the corner and then there I am waving at you as you go by. But good to see you all. Um, this is good to uh, jump in um, to the Advent season. So traditionally the, the four weeks, of course, leading up to Christmas. Um, and the tree is up in the rotunda, as you'll notice. And so make sure to take your selfie in front of the tree and post that on social media. You'll notice two things on the tree this year. One is uh, there's a paper chain on the tree that represents, the links of the chain represent our senior link ministry, which turned 20 years old this year. And so they just had a big 20th celebration, and it has their, uh, their ministry motto on the links of the chain. So you can remember our uh, vibrant senior adult ministry when you see the, the paper chain on the tree. You'll also notice on the tree a whole bunch of these ornaments. This is a free Christian church 175th anniversary, commemorative ornament, limited edition, and uh, these are really cool. So on Christmas Eve, when you leave the service on Christmas Eve, your family could take one of these home with you to put on your tree Christmas Eve. That's our gift to you. If you take it before Christmas Eve, that's theft, okay? <laughs> so they're all over the tree that we can all enjoy them together here during Advent, and then on Christmas, you get your gift. Just like we tell our children, you wait till Christmas to get your gift. So don't tell me your sob story of why you need one of these now. We all do. You'll get it on Christmas, our gift to you. I, <laughs> I have to say it. Okay. Also, so we have our Advent wreath lit, and... If you've, perhaps you have an Advent wreath at home that you use, if you don't, it's a great way to commemorate the season. We have an Advent wreath devotional, which has been revised a little bit recently, and if you, you don't even need a wreath. If you just have five candles or just something that you could light up, then that would be a lot of fun, and this has instructions on how to light your wreath, what you can read and pray as you do that, and what you can sing. So uh, definitely... And it's not just for kids or families. This is really for anybody. But the children's ministry has the Advent wreath devotional. So if you need one of these, see Chrissy or Heidi. They can get you a copy of this devotional. This is different than this. Look, it looks the same. Totally different. This is your schedule of events. This is your wreath devotional. Also different than the weekly devotional, which we will email out on the weekly email. You can listen to the audio of that. You can read it. Those are fantastic. There'll be one per week, follows the same themes. There's so many things that we're doing and we're, that we're just kind of putting it all out there for you to use to prepare your heart to worship God. And again, not just on Christmas, but for every Sunday that we are people who are expectant that God meets us in our worship and that we prepare our hearts for that. So we're going to continue to email out the weekly scripture reading, so you can read those ahead of time. We're going to continue to link to the playlists of music that coincide with the themes that we're preaching and to help 
your personal worship. So when we gather for our uh, gathered worship here, hearts are just ready for whatever God has for us. So now, of course, our Advent sermon series, we're calling The Questions of Christmas. And what we're going to do each week is just take a common aspect of the Christmas story and take a deep dive on it, asking why. So today, we're considering why a virgin, or why the virgin birth. And so let me pray, and we'll just jump right in. Let us pray. Father, Lord, you are so good, and it is with some excitement and joy that we enter this new season with hearts that are ready for whatever you have for us. But even if we don't have joy right now, or if our hearts are feeling distant from you for whatever reason, Lord, we trust that you're strong enough to overcome our weakness, that you forgive our sin, that you bring us good gifts, you are Heavenly Father. So even during this time, we pray that you would give us the good gift of knowledge of you and of your word and of your way as we uh, consider these things. So we pray that you would teach us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if someone were to ask you that question, so why a virgin or why virgin birth? Why is that? Is that important? And why do you care? You know, what would you say to somebody? Would you have an answer for them? So hopefully, at the end of this morning, you would have something to say, perhaps. Because it a, it's a weird one. It's, it's an interesting question. I mean, it's certainly a miracle, virgin birth. So maybe a question before that would be, why or do you believe in miracles at all? Which can be hard for some people. But why this specific miracle? Is it necessary? And when we think of Mary and Joseph and the Christmas story, we often think of Mary's you know, her pregnancy and the uh, stigma associated with that, maybe the embarrassment, her fear, um, her youth, you know, just the faith that she needed, her struggle with this thing that God had uh, trusted her with. I think of Joseph, the text that was read for us today, you know, how he was a man of character, so he, he wanted to d- divorce her quietly, and yet... God's messenger, this angel, comes and he, he trusts God and he stays with Mary and we think of his loyalty and his faith in God and we think of how this couple trusted God in a crazy situation and then we think, my life has crazy situations too and I can trust God through my crazy situations and so we, we think of, we, it's easy to think of the story that way and that's an okay way to look at it. But this did not take place so that we would have a couple that's an example of faith to us. Why did all this take place? Verse 22 in our reading today. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. This whole thing is a fulfillment. That should jump off the page at you or right off the screen at you. Why did this happen? It's a specific promise that needed to be fulfilled, not a moral lesson to the world, but a fulfillment of a specific and necessary promise. And if we understand why it was so necessary and why it was so important, this promise of virgin birth, promised hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, when we understand it, we see that it's actually quite central to our faith. It's necessary for our faith. 
There's people who might be prone to say, and perhaps maybe you're one of them, prone to say, look, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, I love his teaching, I follow his teachings, but the virgin birth thing, I don't know, that's a little bit out there. It's kind of on the extreme. You know, the, the, the virgin birth, when I hear that, it just, it sounds so miraculous and legendary. It, it actually sounds like a religious myth. There's a special king that's going to be born to a virgin maiden. That sounds like a religious myth, and it really does. It actually does sound like a religious myth. So we, or whoever feels that, might say, you know, that's not, the, that's not central to my faith. But here's the problem. If we don't accept the virgin birth, or you push it aside, you likely don't understand what the Christian faith is and why Jesus came and why it was so important. So we need to answer this question well. Why a virgin? Why a virgin birth? So I'll answer it for us two parts. The first part is this. Jesus was born of a virgin to prove himself to be both fully God and fully man, fully human. He's proving himself to be fully God and fully human. So the fully human part is probably the easiest part, that Jesus was born to this woman, Mary. He had a human birth. He was a fully human being. The fact that Jesus was a human being who lived on this earth is a very well-attested fact not just in scripture, but in in human history. That it's very hard to prove that Jesus was just a legend. You have to go out of your way, and you have to actually want to disprove his existence to make any kind of serious historic claim that he didn't exist. It's, It's nearly impossible to do. So that may seem obvious when I say that, but we need to remember, we can't just dismiss Jesus as a legend. This is a man who actually lived. But why born of a virgin? And the Bible goes out of its way here, twice in this passage, specifically that Mary and Joseph Joseph did not have union until after Jesus was born. So why born of a virgin? I mean, in one sense, there's an image of purity there that Mary, at least in terms of her sexual behavior, had not been sinful or, um, you know, she becomes sort of this image of a fitting and a, a pure vessel. But even Mary was a sinful human being. So more than just her purity, so to speak, is that you can't, you can't create a sinless human being because of the stain of original sin. That all human beings, including Mary and everyone else born except Jesus, are born into this condition of sin and death. In the Old Testament, David said, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. That because of the very first sin, when Adam and Eve sin and sin enters the world, they are stained with sin and all their offspring are stained with sin. And and we contribute to that by sinning and by going away from God. But it's just part of the human condition unless God intervenes and breaks this cycle of generations of sin. And this is exactly what God does here. When we say that, when the angel says what is in her is conceived of the Holy Spirit, that God's Holy Spirit intervenes in human history. And there's a new life, a new type of life 
that is not stained with, with sin, such that a sinless human can be born. But even more than that, what the virgin birth shows us is that it's only God's work. That there's no way that human effort could achieve virgin birth. The incarnation is a miracle of God. It's the work of God. And when I say incarnation, I just mean in the flesh, that God comes to earth and takes on human flesh. There's no human effort that could bring that about. The incarnation of God is more important than considering the birth of Jesus. And here's what I mean by that. Because the birth of Jesus is when the incarnation happens, right? So that's, they're very much related. But think about the Bible. In the New Testament, there's four books that give an account of the life of Jesus. So this is who Jesus was. This is what he did. This is his life and his death and his resurrection. This is what he taught. They, they describe that in great detail. Two of those Gospels don't even mention the birth at all. The Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of John. They, they don't mention the manger and Mary and Joseph and the animals and the shepherds. They don't mention that stuff. Only two of them choose to include that. What the Gospel of John says instead, in the very first chapter, it said, God, the Word, just God, becomes flesh, you know, is incarnate. And that was, and then that's the important highlight there, is that God takes on human flesh. The details of the birth are not important to John. What is very important is that God came. The Gospel of Mark starts off with Jesus. So this is good. This is the good news of Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene and he's preaching and he says the kingdom of God is at hand, that God's kingdom is now alive and is present in this world. It's the incarnation that is the most important thing. But we love to celebrate the birth. We have the holiday and we have the little manger scenes like the one set up over there. We, we love to focus on the birth, but really the focus it should be on the fact that God came to this earth, that Jesus came fully God, because there's no other way that it could happen, fully man, born of a, of, of a woman. And the virgin birth proves that or demonstrates that. In the fact that God takes on human flesh, that we now have this God-man, Jesus, changes everything. Because you can't just dismiss it anymore. We don't have to wonder who God is or what God is like. When Jesus comes on the scene, he said, this, I, instead of other religious leaders saying, hey, this is the way or this is the path, Jesus said, I am the way. The kingdom of God is at hand in me. Jesus claimed to be God. He was worshipped as God by his followers, these faithful Jewish men who were so strictly monotheistic that they, they themselves, the first commandment, you know, don't worship anyone but God, and they're worshiping Jesus because they acknowledged him as God. And Jesus claimed to be God, and he was killed for it, that God has indeed come to this world. So it's not just, I, you know, I follow his teachings or I'm a Christian, but this is following God himself, what he accomplished in his life. 
So why the virgin birth? Part one is because it demonstrates Jesus to be fully God and fully man. And the second part of the answer is that he had to be fully God and fully man to save us. This is where most people, certainly people in our country, get it wrong. So most Americans, so um, sort of sociologists of religion type people, would say most people in America believe in a God. And they believe in a God who fits this category they call moralistic therapeutic deism. What we mean by that is moralistic, God wants me to be good, Therapeutic, God wants me to be happy. And deism is that, you know, there's a creator God out there who's not super involved in my everyday life. Maybe a miracle when I need it, but for the most part, creator God is out there. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. God wants me to be good, God wants me to be happy, and God's kind of out there. That is not the God of the Bible. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says you do not know God. The Bible says, describes our relationship to God, apart from Jesus, is lost, blind, dead, separated eternally from God. That's the starting point. Jesus came to this earth not to make us happier, not to make us more moral, but to save us from that condition of death and separation from God. That is why he came, and he had to be both fully God and fully man to do it. First of all, he had to be fully human. Hebrews chapter 2 describes it like this. Hebrews chapter 2, 14. Describing Jesus. Since the children, that's humanity, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So it's Jesus needs to share in that humanity so he can go to battle against death. He's going in as our representative. He's going in really as our substitute, that Jesus is going to battle human death. He came to do that. But in order to represent us, he has to be human. So if, you, if we're going to have a race, uh, and we're going, to have a, we're going to have a Thanksgiving road race, and representatives from all these different towns are going to go and see which town has the, the best racer. So everybody sends their race. And from Andover, because I live in Andover, we're going to send a thoroughbred horse instead. We're going to win the road race. We can't do that. It's not fair. In order to enter into a race with other humans, you've got to be human. In order to fight human death, Jesus has to be fully human. So here we have fully human Jesus entering death as our representative, but because he's also fully God, has the power over death. Not only does he die on the cross, but he rises to new life to defeat human death and to, and, and to then take that victory over death and offer it to us. Hey, my victory is now for all humans as our representative, as our substitute. And therefore, the other way the Bible describes this is that Jesus becomes the perfect mediator between humanity and God. That because Jesus was fully God and fully man, he can represent humanity to God and he can represent God to humanity in a way that's understandable, in a way that can truly mediate that relationship. 
And he offered that perfect sacrifice of his death, but the victory over death with us. That's why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. Because it proves that he's fully God, or demonstrates that he's fully God and fully man, and he had to be so to save us. This, my friends, is good news. And it's good news that you can take from your pew where you're sitting out into your world today. First of all, it's good news because God is with us, that God understands humanity perfectly because he experienced birth and death and the joys and delights of life, but the frustrations, the highs and lows, the betrayal of friends, um, again, human death itself, that whatever we face, that he understands and he is with us in that. Hebrews 2.18 says this, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. When we face temptations, when we face trials, we know that we have a God who understands and that God is with us by faith. We are not, we're no longer separated and dead and blind, but united to him in faith. This is good news to take with you today. Secondly, is that there's no fear in death. We don't have to fear human death. If you are sick or if you are old or if there is illness out there that you feel threatened by, you know that there is life beyond the grave because Jesus came and defeated it. So we don't have to walk around in great fear. And we know that people fear death. We've seen that very much over the last year, that there are people who are just so afraid. Now, it's good to take precautions and, and all those kind of things. Those are good things. But there's, there's that, and then there's just straight-up fear of death. We don't have to live like that. We can live freely. So God is with me. I don't have to fear death. Thirdly, I can fail. And my failure is not fatal. I can live my life and mess up and I can sin and I can try to do it my own way and God's grace is right there. Remember, when you fail, you don't have to constantly try to make it up to God or you don't have to just ignore God. That you didn't contribute anything to this equation except your own sin. That that God came, did something that no human could do, be born of a virgin, to live a perfect life, to die that death on the cross in your place, to rise again to new life. You didn't contribute anything to that. You just trust that he did it for you. And when you fail, you receive his grace again, his gift to you again, to give you that new life, and that you can press on so we don't have to get stuck in failure. You may be here today and feel like, man, I'm so far from God, or I'm such a failure, or I've messed up again, and here I am again, and here his grace is again for you. Lastly, this is good news for you today because you can live with confidence. How do we know that our faith is true? There's a lot of faith systems in our world. There's a lot of different paths that people can walk. How do we know that our faith is true? It's because Jesus was born of a virgin, that he's fully God and fully man. And he said, you don't have to guess, you don't have to wonder. He said, I am the way. We follow Jesus. And he demonstrated that it was true by his death and resurrection. 
and by his miracles and by all his teaching. By all of it, he proved. So we, can, we don't have to walk around worried if, if we've got it all wrong because Jesus said, I am the truth. This is right. And we follow him. So this is good news. You're going to take this with you into your everyday. But for you to be able to uh, engage this good news and to, uh, and to experience this, we need to receive it by faith. That we say, yes, I believe that God came, Jesus Christ, and that he lived that life that I couldn't live, that he died a death I deserved to die, and he rose again. And I trust what that accomplished was new life for me, a connection with God, forgiveness of sin, and life eternal. And by faith, we accept that. Let us pray. I just want to give an opportunity right now, if you want to, if maybe you've never understood that or never accepted that, you could just quietly, just silently, just pray something like this to say, God, I believe. I believe that you came. I believe that you died for me, and I believe you, by your power, you rose again, and I I now receive by faith, God, I want to receive that forgiveness, that new life, that eternal life that you offer. So I turn from my way and I turn to you and I put my faith in you. Be the Lord of my life. Guide me in good places. Lord, be my Lord. And I thank you and I praise you. Father, I pray for every person in this room that this simple truth, this same truth that we, that we speak of, that we sing of every week, Lord, that we would take it with us, that we would live with humility but with confidence, that we would live knowing that you've been there, that you are with us every step, and may we be now part of what you are doing, your kingdom work in this world, Lord. Be glorified in that. Be glorified in us, your children, as we trust you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.